Antic Heart, Chapter 13 Maria's presence chamber is a large hall in need of redecoration. The light is fading outside and the few candles flicker forlornly in the twilight. There are four large tables in the body of the hall with benches on either side. Anne leads me to one where we all sit near the head close to the dais at the end of the room. A number of people are gathering in the hall they're mainly men, youngish, but dressed in old-fashioned shabby clothes, with a few women glowing in faded silks amongst them. I guess there are about a hundred of us. Gradually people move to the tables, talking as they sit. A bored-looking single trumpeter makes his way to the door and blows a half-hearted fanfare. We all stand up, and the doors at the end of the room open. The royal party enters and we all make obeisance, bowing or curtsying, all looking down. As I peep, I can see the party is led by an old lady, followed by two young men and a young girl. They make their way solemnly to the table set on the dais and take their seats. With this, the signal is given to us to take ours and we are finally able to lift our eyes and look at the Stuart family in exile. Queen Henrietta Maria is tiny, clothed all in black with a severe white headdress. She is not the glamorous queen that Lucy had talked about. I can imagine that she was once beautiful with her flashing black eyes and dark hair, but her eyes have faded now and her olive skin is yellow and creased. While Lucy has a youthfulness that belies her years, Queen Henrietta Maria is far more worn than her age would suggest. Of course, she has suffered. Separation from the husband who she loved, followed by his execution. The humiliation of her exile, existing on the charity of her French relatives. And the anxiety she must feel about the uncertain future that faces her children particularly her eldest son, the young king. On either side of the queen are two young men, both tall and good-looking. The queen turns to talk to one of them, and I notice her face becomes animated, nearly beautiful. I nudge Anne and ask her who they are. Is that the king? I ask, pointing to the brown-haired, tanned man, talking intently with the Queen. No, that's Prince James, the Duke of York, Anne whispered. He's in the French army now. He's not often here. His mother will be pleased to see him. He is handsome, no doubt, and he has an air of confidence about him. 
He looked strong and well able to handle himself. I could imagine him being a good soldier. Just then he looks up and his eyes meet mine. I stare directly at him. He smiles and I crinkle my eyes in return. But then his gaze moves on to Anne and he raises his hand in a greeting. She flushes, raises her hand in reply, then looks down at the table. He likes you, I say. He is so handsome. Do you know, I dream about him at night, she burbles. He won't be interested in me, really. After all, he is a prince. But he's so courteous. Whenever he sees me, he greets me. And then once, when his mother wasn't looking, he blew me a kiss. I observe him as she talks. And again, he catches my eye. I nod towards Anne and we exchange a smile. He waits until she is looking up, then briefly mouths, Bonsoir, at her. Yes, they are interested in each other, but I cannot see Edward Hyde allowing his daughter to be the plaything of a bored prince. He turns to speak to his mother, and I look at the young man on her other side. Not far off boyhood, he is slighter than his brother, pale and troubled-looking. So, who is he? I ask. Anne answers my question, pleased to be in the position of the person who is more knowledgeable than their companion. That is Prince Henry. He was imprisoned in England for years, but he's been allowed to join the court here now. He's very quiet, doesn't speak to anyone. I feel some sympathy for him. The court is no place for a shy young lad. He turns now and talks to the young girl beside him. Anne explains that she is Henrietta, the Queen's youngest daughter, and the closest to her. So where is the King? I ask. He does not always attend his mother's court. They say he finds her irritating. I look at the small woman dressed in black, talking energetically to the Duke of York. She is the centre of all her children's attention, and I can see that she likes to be in control of their lives. She has lost the husband she loved so dearly, so she has buried herself in their children. My mind returns to King Charles. So where does he go? He does not have a separate court. Anne looks at me a little strangely, and I realise my voice was maybe a bit too emotional. Quickly, I add, I long to find out about him. In England, all they could talk about was his women and then perhaps his merrymaking. What is he really like? Anne laughs and starts to talk quickly. I've only met him twice, Mary. What's he like? Well, not handsome like the Duke of York. Too dark. And though he is merry, there is a sad cast to his face. But he's tall, very tall. And his manners are exquisite with everyone, from a serving maid to a countess. I wonder how his manners are with the Countess of Carlisle. But then I suppress the thought. To work. So, who is he close to, I ask. Tell me, who are his friends? Anne looks soberly at me. He has no friends, Mary. He has women and he has allies. He is the king. He can have no friends. The meal is served. Small dishes of meat, roasted vegetables and long rolls of bread. Although the food is simple, 
it is all presented exquisitely, and the servants bringing it in are wearing Queen Henrietta Maria's livery, albeit a bit faded. One musician plucks out a melancholy tune on a lute that has seen better days. I take a little meat, some bread, and some carrots, and eat. The wine, though, is French and excellent. I drink two tankards of it, to Anne's amusement. When did you learn how to handle your drink, Mary? You can hold your drink better than most ladies can. I realise I must be careful. I've been used to behaving as a young man, and I must remember that I cannot do that any more. I laugh and say, My father brought me up to drink wine, and besides, I'm thirsty. Anne laughs with me and turns to finish her food. I realise I am hungry. I haven't eaten since I left my mother's house this morning, and I enjoy what is in front of me. However, I do not take second helpings. A quiet hum of conversation rises from the diners. There is no drunkenness, no exuberance. Most people in this room have left their homes behind, and with them, whatever wealth they possessed. They are sober-minded. At the end of the meal, the Queen rises from the table, and everybody stands, bowing and curtsying to her as she leaves the room. The servants clear the tables, while the courtiers stand in small groups talking to each other. Anne and I stand near some young men, on the edge of their camaraderie, trying to look as if we belong, laughing whenever one of them tells a joke. Lady Anne, how pleasant it is to see you here today. We look up and we see the Duke of York. He towers above the other men. Leaning forward towards her, he speaks in a light tenor voice. I am hoping to persuade the players to give us some dancing tonight. The group of young men reforms around him and the two of us. That would be pleasant indeed, sire, one of the ventures. Prince James ignores him and fixes his gaze on Anne. She curtsies and as she rises, he takes her hand and kisses it. Anne blushes, takes her hand back and holds it to her face. I observe that his linen is fresh and he smells of French cologne. He turns and looks at me. And who is this lady? he asks Anne. Oh, sire, I'm so sorry. I should have introduced you. This is Lady Mary Hyde, a cousin of mine. Anne gestures towards me and Prince James looks me up and down. Another Hyde lady? We are spoilt with so much beauty from one family. You are welcome, Lady Mary. I curtsy to him but he raises me up and kisses my hand. His lips are dry and warm. I hope, Lady Anne and Lady Mary, that you will both give me the pleasure of a dance tonight, if we can find some musicians to give us a tune. Anne stammers. Of course, sire, you pay us a great compliment. I look up at him, meeting his eyes. Yes, sire, we would be honoured. I say dryly. That's good. He bows and walks off towards the musician. The tables are now being dismantled and stacked against the side of the walls. Oh, I do hope they'll be dancing. 
Anne says. It's so much fun to dance with all the gallants. Daughter, you may dance, but remember your reputation. Edward Hyde is by her side, looking censoriously at his child. Dancing is good, healthy exercise, my dear, but be careful not to dance too often with one gentleman. Was that the Duke of York you were just talking to? What did he want? Oh, only that he noticed Mary and he asked to be introduced to her, Anne says hastily, and not entirely correctly. Hyde nods and looks appraisingly at me. Good. It is right that you should be introduced to the royal family, Lady Mary. And may I add that you are looking very fine tonight. You will no doubt grace the dancing along with my daughter. Yes, I will, I reassure him. And I can see that he is relieved that I will be there to keep an eye on Anne. Good, good. Well, I must be back to my office. Work never stops. I'll leave you young ones to enjoy yourselves. He bows to me and claps his daughter on her shoulder. Don't stay up too late. No, father, I won't, she assures him. But from the light in her face, I think an early night is the last thing she is thinking of. He leaves us and makes his way through the throng and out of the door. Meanwhile, Prince James has persuaded the musician to round up some of his colleagues, who are by now sitting together, tuning up their instruments. As they start to play, he comes and taps Anne on the shoulder. My lady, shall we? he asks, crooking his arm. She beams at him. Yes, indeed, sire, she says, laying her arm on top of his. Call me James, and I shall call you Anne, he declares as he leads her out onto the floor. In love there are no titles. I watch them as they join the throng of people dancing. There are fewer women in the room, so a number of young men still watch from the sidelines. One red-haired lad offers me an arm, and I am just about to accept it when there is a noise from outside. Do you know who I am? How dare you deny me entry? Let me in, damn you! A woman is being held back by the footman at the door, shrieking as they try to carry her out. I am the mother of the king's son. Touch me and you will regret it. One footman looks anxious, the other sullen. The Duke of York, Prince James, has heard her shouting and he holds up a hand to stop the dancing. Dropping Anne's arm and bowing to her quickly, he makes his way over to the woman by the door. Let go of her, he commands the footman, who, relieved, release the woman and stand back. Anne and I are standing a few feet behind him, our eyes on this loud newcomer. She is of medium height, with nut-brown hair and a dark complexion. Her face would be pleasant, were she not scowling at Prince James. So where is he? she cries, so loudly that everyone in the hall can hear. Where is my child's father? The king is occupied, James replies stiffly. The king? He is Charles, my infant's father, and he has not paid me a sou for the last three months. My son needs new clothes, and soon the winter will be here, and I will have to buy firewood. 
How can Charles leave us to suffer? He recognises my son as his, but yet he will not act towards him as a father. That is Lucy Walter, Anne whispers to me. She has a boy by the king, about three years old. She thinks she's still important, but the king wants to be rid of her. She just embarrasses herself. I remember all of the rumours I have heard about her. Does he ever visit her? I ask, remembering my task. Knowing him, he might, you know. Anne tries to look wise and worldly. They tell me he cannot say no to a woman. He is too soft-hearted. But I think he mainly tries to avoid her. Prince James searches in his pouch and produces a handful of coins. Lucy, I have no doubt the king will pay you what he owes. But for now, take this. He holds the coins out to her. She pauses a moment, unwilling to accept them, but then takes them and examines them carefully. That will not keep us for seven days, she says scornfully. Prince James takes her by the arm. So, you have seven days and I will ensure that the king pays you before those days are up. She looks doubtful. I promise you, Lucy, I swear by God, you will have what you need. He looks her in the eyes. I know times are hard and you have your boy to care for. She is soothed by him. He takes her hand and gently kisses it. She looks at him and I can see a softness in her eyes. It seems Prince James has got his brother's charm. Very well, I will believe you, she ventures. I know you are a man of your word. You are worth all the rest of them put together. No, no, do not speak against my brother, Lucy. I know you still have warm feelings for him. But you know he is the king. He has so much to carry. Tears come into Lucy's eyes and she dabs at them with a lace handkerchief. I must get back to my son, she says. He only has me in the world. Prince James allows that to pass and escorts her to the door. She turns and looks at him. I shall hold you to your word, sire, she warns. He smiles lazily. I know, I am always true to my word. She goes through the door and he turns back to the courtiers. Come, let's dance. Let us not let our youth escape us. The musicians strike up again and the dancing resumes. I notice Anne is once again in Prince James's arms. The young man who had approached me before is hovering, but I pretend I haven't seen him. Instead, I walk quickly to the door and slip outside. It is cool with a touch of frost in the air. I look around to see if I can find Lucy Walter. At first I can see nothing in the darkness, but then I notice a movement that could have been a cloak vanishing around the corner. I run after it, my footsteps echoing on the pavement. As I turn, I see a figure just ahead of me. It is Lucy Walter. She is walking quickly away from the palace, 
but when she hears my footsteps, she stops and looks around. Then she starts to run. I call out, Lucy, do not be afraid, I'm a friend. I realise how right Hyde was to insist that I should be a woman for this assignment. Because I am a woman like her, she pauses and waits for me to catch her up. If you've come to make excuses for Charles, don't bother. She pulls her cloak tightly around her. And if you're his latest woman, beware. He will tire very quickly. I'm not his woman, I say. I've never even met him. I'm new to the court. She peers at me in the darkness. Yes, I have not seen you before. So where are you from? I tell her the story of my past, without mentioning the link with the hides. So what do you want with me? She asks scornfully. If you want to make your way at court, I am not the person you need. I felt a kinship with you, I answer. My mother was a woman alone. I know how difficult it is to bring up a child on your own. These men have no idea, she agrees. Charles is not a bad man, but he forgets us, and that hurts me. I want him to see his son growing up. What is your son's name? James. Jamie, she answers. And a right scoundrel he is already. Why, only the other day I caught him painting the wall with some cherry preserve. But he tells me he's doing it to help Mamma, and how can I be angry with him? She smiles to herself at the memory. I should like to meet him, I say. I hope that this does not sound suspicious, but after months of being politely repelled, she is touched and pleased. Yes, I should like that. You may call upon me. She tells me where she is living, in a tenement not far from the Louvre. Then surprisingly, she hugs me and hurries off. I turn back towards the palace and the dancing. For a while I stand at the side watching. Anne is no longer dancing with Prince James, but is bouncing through a very lively gavotte with the young man who had asked me to dance. I look for Prince James, but I cannot see him, so I take a goblet of wine to warm myself. All of the other women in the room are dancing, so it will not be long, I suspect, before I am asked. I tap my foot to the music and sip at the wine. Lady Mary, will you do me the pleasure? Prince James, the Duke of York, is standing at my side. I look up at him. At the other end of the hall, walking away from him, towards the door, is a familiar figure. It is Lucy Carlyle. I am sure of it. I leap forwards, trying to follow her, but she is he is standing in my way. Surely you will not turn me down, he asks wryly. I know there are many other gentlemen who you may prefer. No, no, your grace, I would be honoured, I protest, embarrassed. I saw someone I know. I was wanting to catch her. So you know the Countess of Carlisle, he asks. She is to her bed, so you will have to see her tomorrow. He offers me his arm and I place my arm over his. I am aware of the fine black velvet of his jacket and the crisp lace at his cuffs. I can also smell his cologne, sandalwood and fine leather. He is a good dancer, but I struggle to dance the woman's part.
I had learnt to do so many years ago. But my head is full of wild thoughts about Lucy. Where has she gone? Is In whose bed is she sleeping? Has she seen me? And does she know what Hyde has asked me to do? I find myself stepping on Prince James's feet and he smiles down at me. You are new to the gavotte, he says courteously. Let me show you. No, I did learn it once, but a long time ago. It has been just me and my mother. I have not danced for several years. He looks down at me sympathetically. Your father? Killed at Naseby, I say quietly. I am sorry, Lady Mary. This war has caused so many tears. Your father was a good man, I am sure. He was one of the best. We missed him very badly, I say. This, of course, is the true part of my story. For a few moments we do not speak, concentrating on the dance. He guides me skilfully, and I find myself moving in time with him. I return to the subject that I cannot dismiss from my mind. I did not know that the Countess of Carlisle was at court, I comment airily, as if it matters not one jot. She has but recently arrived. Do you know her well? He steers me away from another couple that I am about to bump into. No, I met her once or twice in England. She has been living a quiet life in the country. Prince James laughs. She didn't want to be thrown in the tower again, he grins. A tricky lady, the Countess. Thank goodness she is on our side now. I guess the King is pleased to see her, I remark non-committedly. She is an old friend of our family, particularly my mother, the Queen. He tightens his grip on my hand to whirl me round him one more time. And now, Lady Mary, I have taught you the gavotte. He releases me, then bows and raises his hand in farewell. He starts to walk away, but then has an afterthought and turns back to me. If you want to see Lucy Carlyle, you should be presented to the Queen. They are often together. That night I cannot sleep. Tomorrow I plan to meet with Lucy Walter and find out how much she still sees the king and what her knowledge is of his networks. She is angry enough to betray him, but I suspect that she is too open to be a spy. On the other hand, she has a child. Would she be tempted by a payment from the parliamentary side? Especially as it seems the king is not always prompt with his support for his son. I will spend time with her tomorrow and try to find out. But in truth, it is Lucy Carlyle who preoccupies me. I was reassured by the Duke of York's assurance that she spends a lot of time with the Queen. After all, they are old friends. They have many memories to share of the happy times when they were first together and the Queen was bringing up her young family. The King was just a small boy at that time. Was he old enough to remember when Lucy Carlyle charmed his father's court with her beauty, wit and sense of mischief? Did she enchant him then? Surely she is too old for him. But, but, I know, she wanted very much to spend some time with him. 
Did she want to use her beauty in a final, passionate love affair? I had thought that that would be with me. But now we are parted. I can see that Lucy Carlyle will always go where the power is. And however much she loves me, I am no nobleman, politician or king. She has changed history through her powerful lovers. But I am just myself. Sometimes a boy, sometimes a girl. If you ask me what camp I am in, I will say the boys. But if you ask me who I love, I will say the girls. I know Lucy well. I do not hate her for the way she is. She cannot live without the attention, the power that her beauty brings her. So I don't hate her. As she told me, she cannot change. But I just want to find out, is she having an affair with the king? Why were they both absent from dinner last night? Has she truly captured his heart? I sit up in bed, giving up the attempt to sleep. I need to find out where I stand with Lucy before I do anything else. The Duke of York had mentioned that she was often with the Queen, so I must get myself presented tomorrow. I resolve to speak with Anne Hyde first thing in the morning and ask her to take me to the Queen. Lucy Walter will have to wait until I am quieter in my mind. With that decision made, I am at last able to quieten my mind and fall into a restless sleep.